Good morning. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Burke? Didn't, didn't do as good as you thought you did. <laughs> hey, um, so glad you're with us today. If you're online with us, we're glad you're here as well. So last week, um, we talked about the purpose of the law and how they wanted the purpose of the law to prove that they were righteous. But the law actually did the opposite. It proved that they weren't. And so what Paul is dealing with is this idea that he has given the law and people think it has erased a promise. And it was a promise that was given 430 years earlier. He makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless him. He's going to make him a great nation. And just because the law is given doesn't mean that the promise is no more. God made a promise. He made a covenant, and he is going to stick with it. And so we ask the question, then: okay, if we have the promise, then why does he give the law? And so he says this in verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And the word for transgressions in Greek is parabasisis, and it means to sidestep. It's this idea that you're walking towards something, you see it in your path, and you step to the side to go around it. Okay? And so the law was given not to prove that they were righteous, because a law is incapable of proving, right, that it's incapable of making someone that. Laws only reveal your ability or inability to obey them. They wanted the law to make them righteous, but a law cannot do that. We, We had a problem, and it was these transgressors, these sidesteppers. And so last week, we made a huge monumental change in the history of our church, And we gave five new commandments that we're all going to follow, right? One, you address Gary as your holiness. If you miss this, you're forgiven. If you didn't, okay. Two, a donut for Gary is required for admission. Three, address the elders as the wise and noble ones. Only wear darker shades of blue. And then emotions are fleeting. Never show them, never share them. So we gave these five really important commandments. And let me tell you something. We have a lot of transgressors here. We have a lot of sidesteppers here, right? Because do you know how many people address me as your holiness this morning? Zero. Do you know how many donuts I've eaten this morning? Zero. That's a problem. Gary Fleet, where'd you go? Anyone wise and noble to you? Zero, right? We have a lot of transgressors that saw these commands and either forgot about them or just said, you know what, I'm not doing that. Which probably makes you a wise and noble one for not doing that. But I I would not turn down the donut. So we have a lot of these sidesteppers. And that was the problem with the law to begin with is one, either people saw it and said, oh, I don't really want to do that. Or they just kind of forgot about it. 
And so you have these Jews who are saying, look at this law, look how perfect I am. Look how in line I am. And the law actually showed us the opposite. Not that they were holy and righteous, but they were unholy, unrighteous people. And it created this problem. Right? The purpose of the law was not to save them because it was incapable of doing that. See, the purpose of the law was to show the transgressors. Then verse 22, but Scripture, and what he means is the, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe before the coming of this faith We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So, Scripture, it says, locked everything up. It held it in custody. But here's the problem. Scripture is incapable of doing that. Right? A law is incapable of doing that. The only thing the law can do is reveal the reality, right? It reveals our ability or our inability to obey. And so that's what Scripture showed us. And so in that way, Scripture and the law functioned as kind of a negative role, showing us, telling us that, hey, you can't follow as much as you want to hold your hands up and say, look how righteous I am, it actually did the opposite. And so it functioned in this negative role. And then he goes on and he says, so that, and here, here, was, the re, here was the so that, so that by God's grace, faith in the Messiah, we would be children of Abraham, and children of the promise. So back in 22, he's, or 23, he said this. Go, go back to 23. Through the, or I'm sorry, before the coming of this faith. Right, and it brings up a question. The coming of this faith. Is this our faith in Jesus? Or is this coming of faith, is it Jesus' faithfulness? And I think Paul would say both. But there's a lot of translators who will say that through the faithfulness of Jesus, which is what we're much more dependent on, right? We're not super dependent on our faithfulness. We're super dependent on His faithfulness. That He was faithful. That He was righteous. And so there's the negative role that the law plays. But it also plays a positive role. So he says this in verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith, I think the faithfulness of Jesus, has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And so you have a couple of words here. Law is namas, and guardian is patagogos. And patagogos is a really, really unique Greek word. It's only used three times in Scripture. Two of them are right here. 
in verse 24 and 25. The other one he uses in Corinthians. And there's a lot of different translations for this word. Guardian, teacher, tutor, schoolmaster. But none of those really capture patagogos. A patagogos was typically a slave. And their job was not to be the teacher but the one who escorted the child to school. To walk alongside them, make sure they didn't get into trouble. To take care of them on the way so that they could drop them off for the teacher. So I need to borrow a couple people here. Jason, can I borrow you for a second? Jason's an Astro fan. Um, we will forgive his... No, just stay right, stay, stay right there. Stay, stay back there for just a second. Jason's going to be a teacher um, of false ways. Um, can I borrow y'all for a second? Yes. Okay. All right. Lois, come here. All right. Um, Mr. David's not going to be your daddy for a moment. He's going to be the Patty Gogos. And so Jason is the teacher, and your job is to escort the student to the teacher and make sure she doesn't get in trouble along the way. So you're going to walk with her, you're going to lead her, you're going to take care of her to go to the teacher. Right? No. See? Because we all transgress. We all want to go our... Thank you, Lois. That was a beautiful illustration. Thank you. And so now the teacher can do what the teacher does. And it was the job of the pedagogos to get them there safely and instruct them and help them along the way and make sure they didn't run off and get into trouble. Hey, thank y'all. So that was the role of this pedagogos. And the pedagogos would have these nomos or rules or laws to make sure there was, they were guided and protected on the way. Right? And we do this in our world today. Right? You have laws for your kids, right? Kaylee, a few years ago, were you allowed to go in the street? No. And we, we didn't let Kaylee go in the street because she wasn't ready to go in the street. And now we allow her to cross the street, right? As long as she looks both ways and she knows everything's okay. Right? We, we put these rules or laws in place not so our kids don't have any fun. We do it for their protection. But do we keep these rules in place forever? No. Like eventually they get to the point where they have grown and they have learned and they can make decisions for themselves what is the best, right? And so the law functioned to keep us in line until we were able to see the faithfulness of Christ. And in His faithfulness, that we would grow in our faithfulness. We would grow in our faithfulness so that we weren't sitting here asking, hmm, should I do this and should I treat this person this way or this way? It was that Christ was transforming, changing, and growing us to the point that we wouldn't be sitting there asking, hmm, what is, what, what's right? And it would just be simply 
We're here to follow Jesus. And we're here so that our life reflects Him in the world. Right? That was the purpose of the law to begin with. It wasn't to say, hey, you've got it all right, you're perfect all the time. The law was there to form the people of God so that the people of God would be seen in this world as His representatives, His priests. And this comes at a really, really important time. It comes at a really, really important time. And so these new children are grown up in the Messiah. So he says this in verse 26. So in Christ, and and Paul uses this language constantly, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You're all children of God. And this is different than image of God. Right? Because every single person you see every single day is made in the image of God. But here he's talking about something different. He's talking about children or heirs to Abraham's promise. Right? Thousands and thousands of years ago, God made this promise to Abraham. And just because the law has now come doesn't mean the promise is no more. And now, it's not about your obedience to the law that makes us righteous. It's about our faith in Messiah Jesus that makes us righteous. And if it makes us righteous in Christ, then we are now children of that promise. That same promise that was given to Abraham thousands of years ago is now given to you. And it's given through faith. And this is what we kind of talked about last week. Like, for, for most of us, this is one of those things that seems too good to be true. There, there's no way it can be just through faith. Believing in Messiah. That we could find new life in Christ. There's got to be more. Right? And that's what these Jewish Christians were hung up on. Right? They've been obedient to the law their whole life. And now Paul's coming along and saying, wait, 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 you don't need the law if you have Christ. In fact, if you want the law, then what Christ did is useless. I want you to follow and trust in Jesus. In this faith, I think he defines in the next couple of verses, he says this, for all of you, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So it's this belief in baptism that enters us or ushers us into this new life. These are now the identifying marks of the new family. Belief and baptism. You are baptized into Christ. How do you get into Christ? You have been baptized in Him and you have clothed yourself with Christ. See, these ancient Christians had a tradition. And it was, it was very much clothing. Because when you entered into 
the baptistry and you were baptized and you came out on the other side, you were literally given new clothes. You were given white clothes that you would put on that represented this holiness, this righteousness that was not yours. It was given to you. It, it was taking off the old. And then putting on the new. I haven't tried this on in a year or two. Hopefully. Still fits like a glove. But what is the purpose of this? Right? It's warm, one. But what does it do in the environment that it was meant to be used in. Yeah, it conceals. It hides you. And, and that's the language Paul uses in Colossians. That when we're baptized, we're hidden in Christ. Right? And in the military, this is really, really important. Because if you're wearing camouflage in the military... It's to hide you. It's to hide you from the enemy. It's to conceal you. It's so that they can't see you. It is to be hidden. And, and so baptism works in this way that it hides us in Messiah Jesus. And it hides us from the enemy. But the problem, so much of our life we are focused on the wrong enemy. We spend our, so much of our life looking at one another and assuming that is the enemy. Whether it's the person across the aisle from us politically, whether it's our neighbor who gets on our nerves, whether it's a student in our school or a class that's really, really difficult and isn't kind. And we spend our life looking at them as the enemy. But Paul talks about the enemy as something being entirely different. Right? He, he says in Corinthians, the last enemy to be defeated is death. In Ephesians... He said, our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's this unseen world that is wreaking havoc, the world of death and sin, where it reigns. And it's to be hidden in Christ. Maybe you've read the book, um, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and you remember the scene, um, and the movie shows this, where Lucy is standing before the wardrobe, and she opens it up and she looks inside and there are these fur coats. And she walks in. And it doesn't seem like there's a back wall. And she, she walks a little further and then these pine needles and branches start to hit her face. And she continues walking further and further in. And now there's something crunching beneath her feet. And she walks a little further and further and now snow is falling. And she finds herself in this new world. It was this new world that was right there at her fingertips that she had no idea 
that it even existed. And our life in Christ is entering into this new world that is right there at our fingertips. It is right there in front of our face. And it is a world where sin and death no longer have the final word. It is a word, world where sin and death don't win. Because it is a world that Jesus has already won. It is a world where Jesus has faced everything that we could face and come out victorious. The one who was sinless, the one who was righteous, could not be held down by the punishment of sin. Because he had no sin. But God gave him as a sacrifice to become sin for us. And so Paul uses this language, and it's such beautiful language, that you're baptized into Christ and you're clothed with Him. Later he says, hidden with Christ. So that in Christ, this world does not see you the same. And thank goodness, it's not because of your righteousness. It's not because of your faithfulness. It's only because of His. And so this baptism and belief in Messiah Jesus becomes the new marks of identity for us. And he says this in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, that promise was made thousands of years ago. It was made 2,000 years before Christ even came. But that promise was for them and it is for you as well. That in Christ... Jew and Gentile, it doesn't matter. Slave and free, it doesn't matter. Male and female, it doesn't matter. See, in this culture for them, this was all about status. It was all about, are you a first class citizen or a second class or third or fourth class citizen? You matter and you don't. But what he says is that in Christ, all of those markings, all of that that you find identity in, it's not that it changes here and now in this world. Right? If you're Jewish or if you're Greek or you're American or you're English, none of that changes. And if you're male and female, that doesn't change. What does change is you're standing in this now beautiful multi-ethnic kingdom where all of us are now one. And then he kind of doubles down on that idea. And I want to, I want to read this. I'm going to move through this really, really quick, really quickly. Um, because what he does here is he shows us this Exodus narrative. Right? This Exodus narrative is they move from slaves to free. So he says, 
What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when you were underage, you were in slavery under the elements of the spiritual forces of the world. Verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And then verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. He's made it so that now in this new family, you belong. Regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what it is that you've done, regardless of how bad your past looks, regardless of how hopeless your future looks, you in Christ belong. And not only do you belong, but you are welcomed and you are received. Right? It's that picture of Exodus where people are enslaved until a promised time. And then this act of deliverance. And now, because of the act of deliverance, God dwells with His people. And because He dwells with His people, there is an inheritance. And it is the story that He tells. Because it is your story, and it is my story. And it's about this promise that was made 2,000 years ago. It, it's where your ability or inability to obey doesn't get the final word. Where your faithfulness is not on trial. Where we rest, where we hide ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. And we stand on Him and Him alone. Because it's this new world, like we said, that exists right beyond our reach. This world that we walk into. This world that we're buried and raised into. And it's a world where the power of death and sin has lost its grip on humanity. And the power of this world is that sin and death no longer get the last word. Jesus does. Sin and death no longer get to proclaim you are the winner, you are the loser, you are first, you are last. Jesus gets the final word. Father, we thank you so much for this time. God, we're grateful for all that you have done, all that you're doing in our life. Father, for the blessing of Jesus. And we thank you for the promise. We thank you for the promise. In spite of our unfaithfulness, Father, you have remained faithful. And Father, we find our hope in Christ alone. 
And we are thankful for that blessing. We are thankful for the blessing of Jesus. That through His blood, we are cleansed. And we are set free from the power of sin and death. And raised to a new life in Christ. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.